0: It is time for Children's Church. All you children who'd like to go, head to the back, and there are folks to take you downstairs. And while you're going, we're going to pray here in the sanctuary. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your presence, and thank you, Lord, for how you speak to us through beautiful music. And thank you for those that you have led to write these songs and many others And we pray that you'll just help those songs to keep reverberating in our minds and hearts as we go through the week ahead. And now as we open the Bible, we pray that you would impress upon us the truth of your word and help us, Lord, to see how we can have a closer walk with you. We know that that's your will, that we have a relationship with you and that we grow and deepen in that relationship every day. And we just pray your will would be done now in each life. Bless our children and those who are leading them today and give them a great time together as they learn about your love. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to James chapter 4 this morning. We're going to look at some familiar verses for a few moments. A great passage of Scripture. And think about a closer walk. With God, This is one of those passages that uh, is interpreted in a, in a number of different ways by different people. Some believe this is written to Christians. Others believe it's written to unsaved people. And then there are many who believe it really speaks to both. I, I think it does speak to both the unsaved and to the saved. And that's really what the book of James, if, as you read it, is all about. And some have criticized James because he put such an emphasis on doing, on, uh, on works. And some have accused him of teaching a works theology. I don't think that's what we find in James at all. I think we find James emphasizing the flip side of salvation by grace through faith. He's not contradicting it. But he's saying that once you have been saved by the grace of God, there will be evidence of that in your life. It's not that you're saved by your works, but even as Paul said in Ephesians 2, 10, he said, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Once you're saved, once you've received God's forgiveness and you're a child of God, there's going to be evidence of that in your life. At least there should be. And I think that's what we find James emphasizing. And here in verses 7 through 10, he tells us both what it means to become a follower of Jesus, to receive Christ, to give your life to him, But then he's also saying this is what should continue to characterize your life as a Christian. It's not that you go out there and you pray and ask Jesus into your heart and then you're you're done with that. And then you go on and live your life as if it never happened. That is such a foreign concept, not only to James, but really the entire Bible. James is saying you need to submit to God and then you need to stay submitted to God. You need to give your life to Christ, and then you live as though you belong to Christ. And so we're going to look at what he says. There are a number of commands in these verses, and they are here for the person who has never yet given their life to Christ. They don't have a walk with God, but they're also here to remind the Christian, this is what your life as a Christian should be about. So follow with me as I read James 4, beginning at verse 7. He says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom humble yourselves in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up there's a command and an invitation here and i think it's because james knew he was writing to a church that had a motley crew they were a mingled bunch he knew there were some genuine believers in this church many but he also knew there were some people who were a part of that church body who were not genuine followers of Christ. And so he's speaking to all of the above here. He's speaking to those who were saved, but those who were not saved. He's done that throughout the book. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 15, he mentions people who love the world, and he describes them as being God's enemies. Well, we know in that specific uh, specific context he's talking to non-believers you you're not an enemy of god if you're if you're a christian if you're a believer your your whole nature has been changed as a follower of christ you're no longer at enmity with god but instead you've been brought together with him so james knew that in this church body he had a lot of different kinds of people and he's trying to address them all Chapter 4, verse 5, he mentions people who are still proud and still self-sufficient. And that's why he says you have to be doers of the word and not hearers only. There has to be evidence, and there will be evidence in your life if Christ is in control. And so when we come to these verses, he gives an invitation. He gives an invitation to those who have not yet followed Christ And he invites the believer to be consistent and keep on with the commitment that they made. Look at verse 7. Therefore, he says, submit to God. A closer walk with God begins with saving faith. You can't have a walk with God at all or certainly not a close walk with God if you're not a Christian. That's not possible. Because the Bible lays out very clearly, until you have received Christ into your life and allowed him to forgive you of your sin and make you a child of God, you are at enmity with God. You are at war with God. By our sin, we have told God no and that we're going to do, uh, do it our way. And until you say, God, I know I have failed. Please forgive me. On the basis of what Jesus did for me, I ask you to come into my life and make me your own child. When you, when you do that, when any person calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. You will be saved. But that has to happen. And until that happens, until you've submitted yourself to God, there is not going to be any kind of a walk with God or a relationship with God. And the word he uses here, submit yourself to God, submit to God. He uses a word that means change your allegiance. It means that you make a deliberate decision that you are going to place your life under the authority and under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be saved, that you say to God, I am Humbling myself before you. I'm confessing my sin and my need of you. Please, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. I give my life to you. You submit yourself to God. And the way that God has said we must submit to him is to give our lives to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, who came and died for you and me. This also means, at the same time, the second thing he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? You choose Jesus. You submit to him. You don't focus on the devil, you focus on Jesus. By giving your life to Jesus Christ, and then as a Christian, by submitting yourself to him day by day, you do resist the devil it's the only way to resist the devil you can't fight the devil in your own strength his temptation his attempts to try to get you off the track and and uh, in the ditch and down the wrong road you can't do that in your own wisdom but if you're submitting yourself to Jesus if you've given your life to Christ and then you are day by day walking with him you are resisting the devil because Jesus is victorious over the adversary. When he went to the cross, bearing our sins, he destroyed the power of sin and death and hell. In his death and in his resurrection, he once and for all is victorious over the ad. He's a defeated enemy, the devil is. He's real. But notice that you don't capitalize the H, when you talk about the devil. He's not equivalent to Jesus Christ. It isn't that we have an all-powerful God on this side and an all-powerful devil over here, and they're fighting it out to try to see who's going to win. No, Christ is already won. He is victorious. And when Christ reigns in your life, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some read this to say that as Christians, you know, we have to focus on the devil and resist the devil in that sense. No, by submitting to God, you are resisting the devil in the most pure sense. And if you, whenever you are tempted... You focus on the word of God and what he has told us just as Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness by, the, by that same devil. What did he do? He quoted the scripture. You resist the devil through the power of the word of God and through the person of Jesus Christ as you submit yourself to him. That's why it's so important that you fill your mind and your heart with God's word And in your relationship to Christ that you are talking to him and walking with him day by day. Because then you will resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Because he that is in you, the scripture says, is greater than he that is in the world. And so it begins with this saving faith that you put in Jesus Christ. And then as a Christian... On the basis of that relationship you have with Christ, you resist the evil one because you have said, my loyalty is to Jesus and to him alone. My loyalty is not to Satan and his ways anymore. That's a decision that is made when you give your life to Christ. That's why as Christians it's important as we talk to people who are considering giving their life to Christ, we need to be honest with them. We need to let them know that giving your life to Jesus is a decision to give God your loyalty, your commitment, submitting to him. And as he then lifts you up, you're not going to be submitted to the way of Satan anymore. The things that the world would say life is all about, that's not not your guiding star any longer. Instead, Jesus and him And and his love for you, that is what is central in your life. So it begins with this saving faith, and then it continues. As a Christian, you're saved once and for all. So let's live like it. Let's let Christ be evident in us day by day. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. And so when you give your life to Christ, who have you chosen to be your master? Jesus. And therefore, what he wants should be what we want. And then this saving faith results in genuine worship. That's what's described really when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I think it was John Piper that said, the end or the purpose of all missions and evangelism is worship. What do we see happening in heaven? The glimpses of heaven we have. What, what are people doing in heaven? They're worshiping. They're worshiping around the throne of God. And so when we gather to worship together here, we're doing what we're going to be doing in heaven. Uh, it's going to be times... Infinity, a number that is far greater than we can even imagine in terms of what it's going to be like to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. But yet, in its very essence, we are worshipers now, and we're going to be worshipers then, forever. Worshiping and glorifying and lifting up the name of the Lamb who was slain for us and who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Worship is the very core of what it is to be a Christian. We worship Him with our very lives, with our minds, with our hearts, with our actions. And that's the emphasis of James, is that your actions, the things you do, should evidence you are worshiping Jesus Christ. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. This is a very Jewish thought, a very Jewish statement. And of course, James says in the very first chapter, That this is written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Great emphasis on, on Jewish heritage. And they would understand this concept of drawing near. The word that he uses speaks of the priestly function. Priests were said to be those who would draw near in the temple, in the tabernacle. Characteristic of the priests who on behalf of the people would come before God. They were the ones who approached the very presence of God. They were the ones that the, the high priest could go into the most holy place once a year on the day of atonement to make atonement for the people. They would draw near to God. That's the, the, that's the term he uses here. But the amazing thing is because Christ died for us and rose from the dead, he is now our great high priest. Who is interceding for us with the Father. And we can draw near to Him directly. We don't have to have a priest to do it for us. We can draw near to God ourselves. When we come to Him in humility and submission. And ask Him to take control of our lives. When we lay our lives before Him. He. Is the one that we can come to. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4, therefore come boldly. Let us now come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can do that because Christ Jesus has opened the way. We were set apart from God by the great chasm of our sin, it was like a great gulf. Between us and God. But Jesus has bridged that gap. And now we can come directly into the presence of God. That's what it means as a Christian. We can draw near to him. And he draws near to us. And so this saving faith we have results in ongoing close relationship and worship. With God. And he tells us to do it if you go on and read, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. The hands, the instruments of action. So, in your actions and in the inner parts, in your mind, your heart, your thought life. You ask Him to forgive you and He will. You cleanse yourself. Before the priest could go before God, they would have to ceremonially wash their hands. Well, now we wash ourselves because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness when we ask Him to forgive us. When we come directly to Him, He cleanses us. Our mind, our heart, our actions are forgiven. That's what we need to do as Christians on an ongoing basis. Not so we will be saved, but because we are saved. We want Him to be glorified in our lives. And if a person is not a Christian, the act of confessing that reality to God. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need your help. Please forgive me. In other words, cleanse me. Wash me. With your blood make me holy in your sight and when you're willing to do that the Lord Jesus draws near to you he forgives you and he makes you his own person and then we need to have the same mind that God has about sin as Christians when we repent of our sin it means we turn around we go in a new direction It means we are agreeing with God about our sin. Sin, you know, is a direct affront to God. Every sin we commit, we commit against Him. That's who we've sinned against. You know, David, in his great confession after he had sinned with Bathsheba, and he had caused the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. What did David say about his sin? He said to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Yes, he he had caused harm in the lives of those people, but David recognized that all sin ultimately is directly against God himself. And that's why only God can forgive us. And the way he forgives us is through Jesus and what he's done in the gift of his blood, the pouring out of his life, and in the resurrection. He will forgive us because he has paid once and for all for our sin. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, you might read that and think, wow, that's not a very uplifting scripture. What he is saying. He's not saying go through life as a Christian, you know, just beating yourself up all the time. Joyless, uh, downtrodden, uh, frowning all that. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying in your mind and heart, you need to look at your sin the way God does. You need to be broken over your sin against God. I need to be broken in the presence of a holy God to understand who I am and who he is and every time we come before God though we are filled with joy at the fact we are forgiven we should never lose sight of the fact that we are sinful creatures in the presence of a perfectly holy God he is different from us and that will that will change what we do and how we relate to God he's not there for us to order him around and to tell him what we expect of him he's not there to be the object of our anger and our disappointment now we may feel that but that doesn't mean it's right And it's certainly not right as a Christian for us to go to seed in that place. And just because we have gone through great suffering or difficulty in life that somehow we can come against God and we can accuse him and we can tell him, you missed it, God. You failed. No, our sin and our sinfulness should always make us humble before God. Always grateful for what God has given us. Never losing sight that He is perfectly good, perfectly right, perfectly holy, and He never changes, no matter what we're going through. And His comfort and strength is there to help us in our time of need. But we are not in a position to order God around. We can try. And he's big enough to take whatever you say to him. But you know what? As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we should always humble ourselves before God. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how we feel, God is bigger than our feelings. And so he says, you feel the way God does about sin. Lament and weep and mourn. Recognize That it is against a holy God. And then verse 10 he sums it up. The whole thing. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. See that's perfect hope. That's perfect joy. That we if we humble ourselves before God. He's going to lift us up. He's going to save us. And as Christians, He will give us the strength to carry on and to be faithful to Him. Whatever you need, whatever you face, God is there to provide in His perfect way and His perfect wisdom. Now again, that doesn't mean He's always going to give you what you want. I have learned down through the years that God is gracious enough to have not given me a lot of the things I've asked for. Sometimes we think we know what's best, and we don't. And God often will say no, or he'll say wait. Like a good parent, you know, a child wants to run out and play in the street. Do you just let them play in the street because they want to? You tell them no, because you see dangers. You know dangers they don't know anything about. And God loves us enough to do what's best for us. He cares for us. And he has a plan for our lives. And he'll give us what we need to carry out his plan at his time, in his way. And that's what we need to be willing to wait for. And so when we don't understand what's going on, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will lift you up. The perfect illustration, right from the Bible, the prodigal son. The perfect illustration of what we've talked about today. He came home. He'd gone off in his own way. He'd spent the portion that the father gave him reluctantly. He thought he knew better. And then he woke up. He came to himself, the scripture says, in the pig, the pig pen. Feeding the pigs. He was so hungry, he was wanting to eat what the pigs were eating. And then he came to himself and he realized, this is crazy. I'd be better off as a servant in my father's house than to be what I've made for myself. And so he went home. And remember that beautiful story? As he drew near. He didn't have to get all the way to the house because the father was looking for him, waiting for him, watching for him. And when he saw him a great way off, he ran to meet him. That is the way God is for you and me. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He wants to forgive us. He wants to save us. And as Christians, he wants to help us as we live for him. And remember what the son said to the father initially? Just make me a servant. I don't expect to come back and be like your son again. Just make me a servant in your house. That's all I need. But he gave him far more, didn't he? He brought him in and he killed the fatted calf. And they had a celebration. Because his son, who was lost, is now found. That's what God does for us. He gives us so much more than we could ever deserve. And so, hear this great invitation. Heed this great command. Submit to God. Give yourself to him. Live for him. Live under his authority. Live under his control. And by the power of God, he will lift us up. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this great passage of scripture. We never feel like we do justice to how wonderful and how deep and amazing your word is. But Lord, may what we have talked about today just continue to to reverberate in our minds and hearts in the days ahead. And maybe there's someone here today and you're saying to them, submit to me. Submit to me. Give your life to me. This is the moment. This is the time. Not to think about it, but to do it. We pray, Lord, that in this moment, if there's someone here who needs to ask Jesus into their life, that they'll be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I have failed. I ask you now to cleanse me, forgive me, and come into my life. I place my life under your control. We know, Lord, that simple prayer, the prayer of faith. You have promised you will hear and you will save. And as Christians, Lord, perhaps this morning we need to rededicate ourselves that that's what it is to be a Christian, under your control, Submitted to you, walking with you day by day. If that hasn't been a description of our lives, Lord, may it be as we leave here this morning. May we do now what you will be pleased with. We want you to be lifted up and glorified. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to have our time of invitation now. We invite you to respond to this invitation that's in the Scripture, what James said. If the Lord is leading you to make a commitment to Him today, whatever that may be, that's what you need to do before you leave here. Commit yourself to the Lord. Follow Him as He leads. We'll be here to receive you, to pray with you. You're among friends who will rejoice as you do what God has laid upon your heart. Let's stand together and sing this hymn of faith and you follow the Lord as He leads you as we sing.